Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you or around close by. And if you're using one of those, it's page 1203. Just want to make sure you all have a copy of God's Word as we continue our series through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, we have been in 1 Peter 1 for the last two weeks. This is our last week in chapter 1. And we'll continue forward, Lord willing. Um, and thus far, just to kind of come back to center and get everyone on the same page as we think about 1 Peter... Um, Peter here, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, being uh, the one who wrote this, the same Peter you see throughout the New Testament, uh, the disciple Peter called by Jesus himself, who makes many mistakes, but ultimately becomes uh, one of the individuals that the Lord uses to build the very foundation uh, of uh, what the church is. And so uh, as he's writing this, he's writing to fellow believers, the church as a whole, throughout all of this region, uh, which is what is, today is modern day Turkey. And so just to give you a geographical context uh, for who he is writing to, uh, that gives you kind of that scope and sequence. And uh, last week specifically, uh, we talked about a living hope, and the emphasis being that there is only one hope that lasts, there's only one place you can find a hope that endures, and that is in Christ. And so we continue in this frame of thought today, um, I want to read specifically verses 13 through verse 25, as uh, we prepare to uh, just allow the Spirit of God to teach us through the Word of God this morning that we might be like the Son of God, Jesus. And uh, as we read this, I, I want to encourage you to reflect on what we have already discussed in the first 12 verses of chapter 1. And I will summarize some of that after we read because this continues the frame of thought that follows. It says, therefore, verse 13 Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, everyone say fully, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Everyone say holy. In all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Everyone say fear. fear. 
throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Everyone say love. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Father, as we unpack this, may you guide this time for your glory and your purposes that we would be a people possessed by you, untethered from the world and seeking your glory, not our own. Open our eyes to see the hindrances that stand in the way of us walking in obedience to your commands. Unify us in Christ that you would be glorified in us in what we do, that it would be fixated on your purposes, your mission, not our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this passage starts with a therefore, and I teach this all the time, and it's these types of things that I'm seeking to encourage our Sunday school class at 9 a.m. to observe. And when we see uh, the word therefore, uh, it's wise to ask the question, what is it therefore? And it's a great way to remember that contextually I need to understand what has been said before this if I'm going to accurately interpret what comes after it. And in this case, uh, it really comes down to this summation of because you have been born again, remember the living hope that you have inherited in Christ. Keep this in mind. We... Go back even to verse 10 where it says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. We go back even further and it speaks in a verse, uh, really verse starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to His great mercy, He has caused us to what? Be born again. Everyone say born again. Now the significance of that comes in the understanding even of what Jesus told a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus inquired about how one would inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Uh, At the end of the day, this very conversation that Peter's having with the church 
cannot be one that we understand until we are born again. And I say that because if you're here today and you have no concept of what it means to follow Jesus, and you have no understanding about this, what, it, what, what, it say, what it's saying when it says one needs to be born again, then that is the singular place that you need to rest today. And I give you permission to now process that and not listen to anything else I say. Okay? Not entirely, but I want to emphasize that there is much of scripture that will make no sense to the person who is still seeking their own way over the way of Christ. There is much of what God yearns for us as the church that is foolishness to anyone who does not follow Jesus. And so if that is you today, we are celebrating that you are here. And I want the message for you to be understood as you need more than yourself. And God in Christ has provided everything you need in a person named Jesus. And only you can decide whether you will follow Jesus or you will follow your own way in the way of the world. That decision is yours. God has already fulfilled everything we need in Christ. We simply have to decide whether we're going to follow Jesus. Now, there's some of you here today who maybe have heard that over and over and over again. Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've heard this. You could even tell someone else that. And yet, as you step back and you look at your life, you realize I'm not actually following Jesus. And in the same breath, that message is true for you in the same way it's true for the unbeliever. That you, step number one, in anything we seek to do or understand or grow in, is to answer the question, who do I follow? And from that point on is this ongoing journey of what we would call sanctification or being set apart, being different, being made to be more like Christ. And that is both an already done and yet not yet completed work that will continue until Jesus comes back. And so you and I have wrestling to do to understand what has God called us to as his people And as Peter writes this to a church that he refers to as an exile or who has been dispersed, um, the series of the, uh, the title of the series is Sojourners. Why? Because the reality is Peter refers to these people as sojourners that you're going to see throughout the text. Why does he refer to them as such? Because if you are in Christ, you recognize this place is not my home. And one of the greatest tests to see who do you follow is to answer the question, whose kingdom do I anticipate? My own or the one that's yet to come? And it's hard. Everyone say it's hard. It is hard to take our eyes off of the things of the world and fixate on the things that are eternal. And when you hear us talk uh, around E-Free about the idea of being untethered, that was something we we discussed this last year in First Peter and cast this vision of what would it look like for the church to be truly untethered from the world and possessed by God, sold out for everything that God calls us to do and to be. And so as we look at this, I pray that we would do so with a yearning to untie ourselves from the things that 
hold us back from simply walking in obedience to God. But understand, in hearing this, we can, we can wrestle with maybe why. Why would I follow Jesus? Why? And there is value beyond what we can fully understand in this salvation. That's what's described in verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. What does he mean? Well, the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is before Christ. Everything from Matthew to Revelation is from the the birth of Christ all the way to what is yet to come. And when you look at the whole and you understand that how this takes place, you see that God used Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1, 1 or Hebrews 1, 1 says, uh, at many times long ago, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. In other words, when we go to the Old Testament before the time of Christ, God used prophets to take messages from God and declare them to the people. And some of the most familiar prophets are people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, this guy named Jonah who ended up in the belly of a fish for three days. All right. Uh, These were people called by God to speak the truth of God to people who didn't want to listen to God. Okay. And so the prophets, what Peter's identifying is the prophets searched diligently and inquired about this grace that was yet, was going to be revealed to you, the church. And where do we see that? Well, one phenomenal example of that is in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, written approximately some 700 years before Christ was even born. And the prophet Isaiah writes about a Messiah who would come and who would be crushed for our iniquities and bring healing. And so Peter identifies, think about a salvation that even these people who didn't get to experience the fullness of God's grace as what's been revealed today, still searched and inquired carefully about what person or time, who would this be? The spirit of Christ in them indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories that would follow. And it was revealed to them. I think this is incredible. That they were serving not themselves, but you. How? They they recognize this is not yet. It is to come. This is something that's going to happen in the future. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In other words, the very gospel. I want you to recognize the incredible lineage of the gospel. When we proclaim the true gospel of salvation in Christ alone, that Jesus is the only way, John 14, 6. We are carrying on what God began from ultimately the moment that the first sin was committed. In God's plan of redemption and God making a way for all people to be saved. We do not create the gospel God has put the good news in place. And when that is proclaimed, it is a legacy that began thousands of years before you and me. What great salvation. 
this is. Now, the other interesting piece of this is look at even the spiritual beings, things into which angels long to look. Side note and personal pet peeve, it is not a beneficial thing for us to think about loved ones who have passed away as angels. Why? Because angels don't understand salvation. Angels are created by God for very specific purposes. Mankind was created in the image of God to glorify God. And God gave Christ for humankind. And so the very reality that angels long to look into these things, you and I have the opportunity to understand these things. God gave us not just His Son, but His Word. We have the opportunity to engage in this in a way that the angels long to understand the depth of how this takes place. And I'm going to tell you, if the angels get excited, which is what it says in, uh, I believe, Luke, uh, that the angels celebrate every time someone gets this, my goodness, how should we? And so when we come to these texts and we go, well, what is this really saying? It's, it's foundationally that we should value the salvation we have been given in Christ. That if we've understood the good news, the gospel, salvation in Christ alone, it shouldn't be just, I, you know, yeah, I've done that, I've been there, done that, move on with life. Instead, here's where verse 13 kicks in and says, therefore, in other words, in light of this great, amazing, incredible salvation that we've been given in Christ, this is what we should do. And he starts with this statement, therefore, verse 13, preparing your minds for action. Now, it's interesting. You may either have a footnote or a completely different phrase because in the original languages, the actual terminology here would be girding up the loins of your mind. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to demonstrate what this might look like. Okay, how to gird up your loins. Now, if you didn't know, in biblical times, it would be common that you would have a tunic. It didn't didn't matter who you were. This was just the common dress of the time. Now, the problem with that is that the tunic is not going to allow you to do heavy labor or fight in battle. This necessitates the girding up of one's loins. And so this gives you kind of a step-by-step guide. Now, the reality is, uh, Chris Layton said this morning that in light of this passage, we should all start wearing tunics. I said no. But, first, you hoist the tunic up, get the fabric above your knees, and this gives you mobility. Next step. You gather all of the extra up so that the back of the tunic is snug against your backside. And then you bring the excess around underneath between your legs. And apparently feels much like a diaper. Don't know? Haven't tried it. <laughs> also don't remember what a diaper feels like. So, And then the last two steps. You gather half it around, bring it around, tie it in the front. And you are all set for both battle and some hard lab- labor. And then the last line is just funny to me. Go forth, be ye men, and gird up your loins. Okay? 
But here's, here's the emphasis, okay? The, the emphasis here is get ready for action. It's, it's this emphasis that in light of what God in Christ has done for, for the church, and he's telling this to a group of people scattered across the land, in light of this, get ready for action. Being sober-minded. What, what does sober-minded mean in this? Well, sober-minded is, is a calm, steady, controlled, disciplined. Get ready for action. Luke 12 uses this same phraseology in girding up your loins. When in, in, actually in verses 35 through 37, Luke 12, it says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. Everyone say awake. When he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. So this isn't meant to be like, okay, you know what? I get home. I let down my tunic. And I'm just going to relax. But there is an emphasis throughout scripture that would say, prepare yourself for action and stay prepared. Why? Well, for one, because of what God in Christ has done for you. And two, because of what's coming. Don't get to a place where you just passively go, yeah, I'm good. I believe Jesus did these things for me. I'm going to sit back and let him do his thing. The biblical call of someone who follows Jesus is to act as someone who follows Jesus. In light of this great salvation, prepare your minds for action. Gird up your, the loins of your mind, being sober-minded. And then he goes on to give them four very specific exhortations. And we're going to look at exactly what those four exhortations are. The first one we see right after this, these qualifying commands, start preparing for action, then do these things. Number one, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this goes back even to verse 6 in chapter 1 that says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by, by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. This goes Back to what we talked about last week and what it means uh, to even uh, actively hope. And it's not a, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of hope this will happen. It's a confident assurance. How do we have that confident assurance? In light of what God has already done. We have a confident assurance of what he will do. According to his promises. This follows that same line. Set your hope, your confident assurance, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on 
what will be completed when Christ returns. That's our motivation, family. That's our motivation. But the second exhortation here is not just to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But to pursue holiness. Verse 14 through 16 is obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But the contrast here is as he who called you is holy, you also do what? Be holy. Everyone say be holy. Turn to the person next to you and say be holy. Now it's a lot easier for you to turn to the person next to you and point the finger and say, hey, you need to be holy. Especially if that person is your spouse, right? Because you, you know all their flaws. But it isn't, should that not be what accountability in the church looks like? You see, we've lowered the standard. And instead, accountability looks like, well, you need to be better than the world. So we're going to keep an eye on you and kind of make sure that you're not doing the things the world does. Which that's part of it. Don't return to the old way of living is what Peter tells them. But it doesn't stop there. But instead, actively pursue holiness. As he, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. When? In all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, everyone say that's hard. Here's the reality. It's impossible for you to do this apart from Christ. It's one of the reasons that we believe and say that salvation is by grace through faith, according to Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. It's not of works, so no one can boast. Why? Because you and I aren't holy. In order to be in the presence of God, you and I have to be righteous. Doesn't matter how much or little we think we've done wrong. If you and I have done anything that is outside of the holiness of God, we are not worthy to be in the presence of God. That's the bad news. The good news is God made a way in Christ. And in Christ, you and I are no longer counted as unrighteous, but as righteous. You and I are no longer considered unholy, but holy. But here's the thing. If I'm still depending on myself for that holiness, then I'm not following Jesus. If I'm still looking at the world to try to figure out how to be the best person that I should be, then I'm not following Jesus. And these should be radical tests that we ask ourselves all the time to say, where in my life have I forsaken pursuing holiness and become content and comfortable in my mess? The very mess that God has redeemed me out of in Christ. And the motivation for the church to continue on in the midst of hard times, trials, everything going on, is to reflect back on the salvation they've been given in Christ. Pursue holiness. The third exhortation here is one that usually, I would say, we, we we're, tend to be uncomfortable with. Verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear 
throughout the time of your exile. Now, the reason we're uncomfortable with this is because you and I's definition of fear is different than the type of fear that Peter would be talking about here. When you and I think of fear, we think there's a bear running after me and I'm running for my life. Or I'm really sick and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through this. And we think of that and we go, how could we fear God? Why would scripture tell us to conduct ourselves with fear? Why, why would Peter be writing this to people who are already in exile? They're already in trial. I mean, don't, don't try this. If someone you know is having a hard time, don't write them and say, hey, make sure you're fearful. Okay? I, I don't recommend that. But if, if, we have to ask the question, why is this important? And that's what follows it. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without spot or without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Yes, Jesus himself existed before creation. We see that in Colossians. If you don't know where that is, read the book of Colossians this week. And it, was, it says, everything was created by him and through him. And nothing was created without him. Right? That's the book of Colossians. Jesus was present. He's foreknown for the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God. And it's God who raised him, him being Jesus, from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Why should we be fearful? Why should we conduct ourselves in fear? I want you to stop and think for a minute about a moment in your life where someone sacrificed abundantly for you. And the reality is, no, it's not going to come close to comparing to what God in Christ has done for us. But I want you to stop and think about a physical person here or in, the, in your lifetime who sacrificed loads. Now, I want you to think about slandering their name. For a moment. And you, there's this heavy reality that sits in when you stop and you put that into real language. Now take that same concept in an earthly sense and apply it to the creator of the world. The very person who gave us breath in our lungs. The very person who sustains us when we sleep at night. The very person who... The very, very being that offers salvation through his only son. And then all of a sudden it makes sense why Paul says, should we continue in sin so that God's grace can abound? By no means. And it's a double negative. It's like, no, no, don't do that. Why? Stop and think for a minute about what God gave for you. Stop and ponder for a minute what salvation means to those who believe. And all of a sudden, there should be this weighty reality at how loosely we toss around our salvation. As if it's a card we could check and go, thanks God, I'm going to head on down the road. 
instead of prostrate in awe of a God who has no, no reason that He has to save us. Who gave His Son that you and I could have life. Yeah, we should, we should be humbly, fearful, respectful of the one who gave that for us. May that be true. And may that be a motivator for us to not go back to the way of living before Christ. But to break those chains and walk in faithfulness, in obedience, in Christ. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. This is the last exhortation. And this really reveals how vertical transformation that God does in us should change our horizontal mission right here. In recognizing what God has done. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Since you have been born again. Your motivation for loving one another is not because you like them. It's not because they deserve it. It's because you realize what you don't deserve. Which is salvation in Christ. And yet God has freely given it. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, how, why should I believe this is true? Um, because this is what God has done, not man has made. And that's where this emphasis, all flesh like grass is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but guess what doesn't? The word of the Lord remains forever. This word, Peter reminds them, is the very good news, the very gospel that was preached to them. And you line those two things up and you go, oh, the good news, the gospel remains. When nothing else does, salvation in Christ remains. One of the boldest moves that our flesh makes is to profess receiving a gift from God and then to live as one unchanged by that gift. If we set our hope in this life on anything but the, the completion of salvation through Christ, we devalue the very sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. We probably most notably do that to one another. And Jesus says in John 13, he tells the disciples, uh, they will know you are my disciples, my followers, by your love for one another. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I'm going to tell you, family, that's hard. It's hard to do that because... Uh, People are responsible for both our greatest joys and our greatest sorrows. And that will be true in this life. But it does not change the mission that the Lord has given us. Why? Because you have been born again. 
Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So the question remains for us, family, who should we be? And I just want to give you two things. Number one, remind one another of the gift that has been given to us in Christ. And in light of that gift and the reminder of that gift, answer the question, who should we be? Remind one another of the gift we've been given in Christ. And in the same way, remind one another of the gift we have been given in Christ. Given in Christ. And in light of that, answer the question, how should we live? And the answer becomes so clear. In light of all that God has already done. And a confident expectation in what he has promised to do. Live untethered from this world and sold out for his glory. Above anything else. Family, stop today and consider salvation in Christ. And allow that to motivate you to live for Christ. For the glory of God. Amen? I'm going to have the worship team come. We're going to sing one last song. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, I pray a people humbled by the reminder of what we have been given in Christ. Father, we confess that it's so much easier for us to check the box of I believe and then step into this life and do our own thing. Oh Lord, we believe that you have called us to be a people possessed for your purposes. We believe that, Lord, you didn't just save us to continue living in the way we've always lived. But you have redeemed us to be set apart. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue holiness in all that we do. Lord, that we would not be content with good enough, but that we would... Strive to honor you in light of this great gift. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today who are struggling at the hand of such intense trials and weights. And pray that you remind them that Christ suffered on their behalf to give them a hope that is not of this world. That they would be reminded today in light of the, the horrid challenges they face. That hope in Christ remains. Life in Christ remains. Lord, unite us together under this. Transform us, Lord. Help us to be different. In Jesus' name.